Hi, this is Lou LaRoche and you're listening to the Just Checking In podcast. Hi, Venters. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Just Checking In podcast. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by Vents, a place where everyone but especially men and boys can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas and start conversations. Each pod, I check in with a very special guest. We have Anata and chat about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we discuss it. My special guest for this week's show is YouTuber, artist and advocate for greater gambling awareness, Joshua's opinion. Joshua was born in Walthamstow in my neck of the woods in northeast London, but moved to Norfolk when he was 11 years old. Being the only black person in his year group compared to his previous multicultural area of East London brought its own set of unique challenges, but that didn't deter him from achieving his goals. In this episode, we discuss the problems he experienced with gambling, the stigma around gambling addiction in the black community, and the coping mechanisms he used to escape from his problems until he switched that mindset and addressed his mental health difficulties head on. Joshua wanted to make it clear that his addiction to gambling was comparatively on the less severe end of the spectrum, but it did still have a seriously negative impact on his mental health. We also discuss how he got into becoming a YouTuber, transitioning into music, his hopes and dreams for the future, and the importance of his mantra on his YouTube show, it's just my opinion, so you don't have to take it as fact, in the wider conversation about how we respect each other's opinions and can have healthy conversation and debate in the process. So this is how our check-in went. Joshua, welcome to the Just Checking In pod, mate. Thank you so much for coming on and letting me check in with you. When we spoke off air, I've got a feeling this is going to be a two-way conversation more than an interview. So I'm looking forward to this as well from my perspective. How are you, bro? How are you getting on? I'm very good, man. How are you? Do you know what, mate? I was thinking about this question and I wanted to answer this honestly because actually... In the last week at time of recording, I was actually I was actually in quite a bad place. I've lived with acne for a very long time and I was on a big heavy course of acne treatment from like October to February. And I thought all my acne had gone and it started to come back. And I was just in just this oh, it's just an awful mindset because I had to kind of get back into the process of oh, going back into the system and trying to assess my options mm. and stuff. So I'm going to be honest, I'll say I'm, I wasn't in a good place Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but... I'm sort of balancing out and getting to a better place. So I appreciate you asking. And I wanted to be honest with the listeners because, you know, I'm a big advocate of saying, if you're not okay, say it. So yeah, it's not been a great week, but doing pods, you know, talking to people like you, talking to people who've got different experiences helps me as well. So yeah, weren't in a good place, but getting better. Yeah, no, that's good to hear. I mean, um, that's life. I mean, we're we're all going through them ups and downs. Roller coaster thing, isn't it? Let's be honest. Roller coaster thing. Mm. Roller coaster thing. Exactly, man. We've got so much to talk about, mate. And your journey is just amazing because it it encapsulates so many different things and so many different outlets, you know, for you as an artist or for you as a YouTuber. (laughs) So shall we just start the show? Yeah, let's go for it. Let's go for it. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward. Yeah, man. Let's go for it. All of the amazing stuff you do now with YouTube or music is derived from your mental health experiences, Joshua. So let's talk about your journey first. Now, I ask all my special guests this question first. Tell me about your early life growing up in North East London in my neck of the woods before you then 
moved to Norwich, teenagers, yeah. family, and were there any early mental health experiences you can pinpoint? Who's the Joshua we meet here? Uh, that's a good question. Let's go from like where I was born and stuff like that. So born in Wits Cross Hospital like yourself. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, man. They grew up in Walthamstow. Yeah, man, obviously, you know, growing up in London in such a, a multicultural area to then move to Norfolk. I always say, like, when people ask me, whereabouts do you live in Norfolk? Like, people don't really know many places. So Norwich seems to be like a, a holy grail that people know up in those areas. <laughs> but I actually live about an hour away from Norwich, do you know what I mean? But, yeah, growing up and just experiencing what I did, especially, as I said, moving from a multicultural area to a place where I was like, one of the only black people, black families in the area. It was such a culture shift, you know what I'm saying? You had to learn so much about yourself and you had to get to know so much about yourself at such an early age. I definitely felt like there were stages of, whether I knew at the time if it was mental health or it was problems with my mental health or feeling like a, you know, any anxiety around being the only black person and stuff like that. I don't know if I felt that at the time properly or if I understood it. I would say I felt it, but I'd say I never understood it. But it was definitely something that you had to try and learn quickly and learn almost like on the job, as people say, you know, when they're starting a new thing, you know, you, you had to learn it. You had to just adapt to it as fast as possible. I always say to people for quite a while, I was traveling back to London. We used to travel back to London nearly every weekend, you know, see my grandma, see my family and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, man, in, in school days, especially secondary school days and early days, I felt like I had to almost lose myself to fit in. It's an extreme um, code switch, basically. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It was definitely a code switch because, you know, not many people shared the same experiences that I did. Not many people shared the same interests that I did. Not many people shared the same feelings and maybe even, like, values, you know? Because, of course, I'm coming from a completely different culture, you know? I'm coming from a completely different set of thinking and, and, and mind frame as well. So, yeah, man, it was definitely a interesting thing to learn and, and deal with man, at that time. I just want to quickly talk, before we move on to university, obviously in London, there's a lot of multicultural schools or there's a lot of schools where it's predominantly one ethnicity or racial group. So for example, you could yeah. have a school which is like predominantly black. We could have a school yeah, which is yeah, predominantly yeah. South Asian. You know, my sixth form was, I was on only one of 10 white boys, but I enjoyed mm. the culture difference because I came from a school that was, the secondary school was more mm. mixed. So looking back, are you almost in a way sometimes glad that you experienced that status as maybe a sole, you know, a sole black boy in an all white school because you learned about white people, you learned about white experiences. And then obviously you had the difference of now as an adult, you're more, you're around more black people and you obviously you had your family and, and your friends in London who are, who are yeah, black yeah. as well. It's one thing that I always say, like, no matter what you, you kind of think, Britain is made up of 80% white people. So wherever you go, you're always going to be around a large majority of white people within this country. The fact of the matter is, growing up where I did, yes, I was able to learn about, like, different cultures. I was able to then adapt myself. And I feel like right now I'm able to adapt myself to many different environments. It's something that, it goes back to the code switching. I'm still trying to learn not to code switch because at the end of the day, I feel like you lose your identity if you continue to code switch throughout different things. But it's, it's something that a lot of black people do, especially mm. inside working environments, especially inside of professional environments. We code switch because we feel like we need to do that to fit in. In terms of myself and in terms of growing up in them areas, I believe that 100% it was one of those things where I felt like I learned a lot about myself and a lot about people around me. 
but being around culture, that's what life's about, you know. Life's about seeing different cultures, seeing different people and seeing different things. So I feel like, honestly, it can be damaging, especially to a, a young black man or a young person of culture. It can be damaging to not be around other people of other races, just purely because you want to learn so much about culture. You want to learn so much about different people, races and things. Do you know what I mean? But I'll be honest, like I've read a little bit about your story and I've heard a little bit about you and yourself and, mm. you know, being born and raised in East London yourself. Like, how do you think that shaped you and for you to be the person that you are right now? Of course, as you said, like growing up in and you was one of 10 white people in your in your school How does yeah that for you? i mean it was definitely an experience i mean my secondary school was uh, i'd probably say maybe like 60 40 white to black or black to white so it was yeah. a lot of it was in romford so it was a lot of very right. very very working class white kids who came from like yeah, yeah. grays thurrock all those places basildon and then you had mm. sort of second generation afro-caribbean children of you know first generation immigrants so a lot of those kids came from like Cannon Town, East Ham, yeah. places like that, because it was a religious school. So they wanted to go to yeah. a religious school in that area. And, you know, obviously I experienced a lot of bullying there, but even despite the bullying, I still, you know, I can still pick out some laughs and I can still pick out some moments where I learn about people's culture and different experiences. And obviously going to my sixth form, it was definitely a culture shock, but there was almost a good culture shock in one respect because all the South Asian boys were on it educationally, yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I dropped, I remember, I always tell this story, I dropped three marks in a AS paper. So for kids who were, who have changed their curriculum since then, AS was year 12. So mm. I dropped three marks in English exam and I came out and all the boys going, fucking Alfred, you smashed that exam, da, 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 da. And I was like a bit like taken aback because until that point, I had to sort of hide my grades or hide the fact that I did well in a certain... I wasn't, you know, I wasn't ace in everything, but just if I got an yeah. A in something, people would get onto you in my secondary school. People would be like, oh, you boffing, yeah, da-da-da-da, yeah, why are you getting this, why are you getting that? So it was like a, there was a good culture shock in that respect. And then learning about being around kids who are Muslim or Hindu or Sikh, that was really great for me. And I didn't yeah. have the feeling of maybe alienation that some of the black boys or the white boys who were there from year seven had because they were the minority pretty much yeah, so yeah, yeah, i yeah. felt like i came into it with my eyes wide open instead of perhaps being closed off to it yeah i understand that i understand that do you feel like they shaped you to understand more of like different races in terms of relationships did it shape you at home did it shape your your music taste like how did that like impact you in that oh definitely like... shape music bro yeah, yeah, yeah i mean yeah, i was, yeah, I was yeah, yeah. when i was in secondary school i was listening to funky house and grime so <laughs> i was definitely influenced by afro-caribbean yeah, yeah. cultures there but yeah. then when I got to sixth form, I started getting more into, well, I, I, I'm, I, it wouldn't say it's my main genre, but, you know, I started listening to Bhangra music. I started listening to UK stuff, yeah, you know, yeah, Nish. Yeah. I mean, my mate from that year group is now a, a UK artist, like a big okay. UK it, artist it, called Nish. So it, shout it, out Nish if he's listening. Nish, yeah. yeah, Nish. Yeah, he's amazing. Uh, amazing. To, um, search him. Yeah, so he's come up really hard. And then like people like Mumsy Stranger, and obviously I've listened to a lot of the Bhangra scene in, in India as well. So it's definitely yeah. shaped my perspective on music, but also just like different religions, you know, understanding that when it's a certain month, my mates might be fasting. Yeah, like checking yeah, in on yeah. them and saying, you know, how's your fasting mm. going? Are you are you struggling or do you need any support? Yeah. You know, stuff like that. It's just little things, do you know what I mean? Instead of, so yeah. it's, instead of sort of saying, oh, what is it? I kind of already yeah. have a baseline knowledge. Yeah, yeah, of course. Have you fasted yourself? 
no, if you take no, a part in Ramadan. Inter- yeah. Apart from intermittent fasting, no breakfast and then yeah, <laughs> and then yeah, lunch yeah, and then yeah, no yeah. no food until dinner. But <laughs> I, that, that was that's a struggle. That's a struggle enough as it is getting used to that. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. No, no, no proper fasting, man. <laughs> yeah, I understand, understand, understand. I, I wonder, like, because you talk a lot about different music as well, being influenced mm. by that. Have you been to a lot of these countries, or is it is it just like from the, your music yeah. allows you to travel to these countries, like listening? To- <laughs> Do you know what it is, man? I haven't done a lot of traveling to be honest, and it's a bit. It's a bit of a, yeah. an annoying one, but I've, I've been to a lot of gigs of different genres. You know, I remember I went to a concert by this guy called Diljit Dosanjh, and he's he's an absolute icon in India. And I was the only white person there, and it was Wembley Arena. Mm. I went with my mate, my mate Divya, and I, I actually suggested the concert to her. So we were walking around, and like we were having conversations with people. Like she'd bump into friends and stuff. They like talked to me like really patronizingly, as if I was this like token white boy getting brought along. They're like, "Oh, do you, yeah, are you enjoying yeah, yeah. it?" Da-da-da. I was like, "Bro, I recommended <laughs> this. I've got his album." Like just watching them sort of like go back into their subconscious bias. Like it's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's mad, man. It's mad. It's mad. I want to move on to university now, mate, because you got your yeah, A levels. And then you decided to go to university. But unfortunately, after only, I believe, four to five months, you had to drop out or you decided to drop out due to your your problems with gambling. Can you tell me about how those problems began? What maybe types of gambling you did and then how that impacted your mental health? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, yeah, man, university for me was an experience where I definitely learned a lot about myself. But then gambling came into play where I wanted to make more money. I've been working since I was 16 years old, right? And when I went to university, I stopped working. I was working at Weatherspoons and I moved to Leicester and I stopped working. And then there came a point where I wasn't really making any money and I wanted to make money. And before this, I never really had any problem with gambling. I gambled every now and then as as an 18-year-old would do, especially an 18-year-old who likes football. So, you know, you, mm. you spend your money every weekend or every other weekend. Or You know, I only really used to gamble about twice a month maximum, do you know what I mean, at that time. Not that much, you know, just odd accumulator or whatever. And then there came a point where I wasn't making any money. I always remember the day as well, January the 12th, where one of my biggest problems with gambling happened. But before that, at the start of 2015, I had this thought in my mind that let me make a certain amount of money each day from gambling and hopefully, you know, I can start putting some money aside. So I had a strategy of making £20 every single day. And I was going on for about 10 to 12 days. And then one of the days I lost a 20, wanted to chase it, lost 50, lost 100. Then five minutes later, I lost 500. And then you're you're panicking. You're just panicking. You're thinking, what do I do? What do I do? And yeah, like lost that 500 and panicked, put my whole student loan inside there. And two and a half grand later, 20 minutes and two and a half grand later, I'm thinking... I don't know if I can swear on here, but I'm thinking I'm Yeah, yeah, I've, I've sworn I'm, you can I'm, swear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm thinking I'm absolutely fucked, honestly. Like, that's all I can say. Let's be honest with you. I mean, that's the only real words that I can use to describe it at that moment of time. Let's be honest. And that was one of those things that shaped the whole trajectory of my life to even where I am right now. And especially my whole life around surrounding gambling at that moment of time. I had an on and off relationship for about three years with it. And yeah, as I said, like I've said it in a lot of my videos, I make content on YouTube. I know we're going to delve into it a little bit later. And I've said it a lot in my videos. I had a three year on and off relationship where I was just chasing my losses. And yeah, man, it, it led me to where I am. But looking back at it and with hindsight, after losing 20 or after losing 50, I should have just seen it as part of the process. 
right? And I should have mm. just seen it as, as something that happens. You know, you're not, you're not going to win every day. But because for the past 10 to 12 days, I'd won 20 pounds. I had to won 20 pounds. So I thought, oh, I could do it. I could do it. I could do it. Do you know what I mean? But then again, with hindsight as well, I'm glad that it happened because it could have got a lot worse, you know, or it, it could have went to a different place. So I'm, I'm glad that it happened with hindsight, I'll be honest. You went back to university and completed yeah, two man. years of your degree before yeah, you man. dropped out again. Who's the Joshua yeah. you meet at this point? Did you feel like you had failed or did you feel like leaving university was a positive step you took for your mental health and for your life progression and journey? Are you talking about the first or second time going the back? The second time. So going back the second time, going back, I always knew that I wanted to go back. I enjoyed it. I met some amazing people. You know, of course, like as a lot of people say, university is one of the best stages of their life i don't agree with that statement but it was definitely a great part of my life you know i mean it was definitely a great thing so going back to it i knew it was something that i always wanted to do but when i went back i ended up because at that moment of time and it was something that again looking back at it i wish i didn't but at that moment of time i told people that i dropped out of university because i didn't like my course right i didn't tell them it was because of gambling so when i went back i had to change my course i couldn't go back and do the same course and again <laughs> I wish I did go back and do drama. Do you know what I mean? Because uh, though like I had things that weren't great about it, I still would have preferred it over doing history. But because I told people mm -hmm. that reason, I went back and done history. And again, it was something that was just like, nah, this is not me. And mm -hmm. just doing it, especially as I said, I've done it for two years. And I would be putting so much effort into it. I'd be reading so much. I'd be just, I'd just be doing so much. And then you get your grades back. And you'd be like, this doesn't reflect the effort that I put into this. This doesn't reflect all them hours in the library, all them hours of reading, all them hours of of studying. And do you know what I mean? It just doesn't reflect that. Like I'm, I'm I'm getting these grades back and it's just almost like I haven't done anything. Do you know what I mean? Whereas mm. I know personally, I've put so much time into this. And that was just affecting me a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And then in second year, it's just affecting me a lot. I was having some sleepless nights, as you probably know about university experience, you know, just up writing this essay or that essay. That's probably one of the reasons my mental health was definitely affected massively from that. And it was definitely one of the reasons I ended up dropping out again. So not many people can say they dropped out of uni twice, <laughs> but I am one of them. I'm one of them. I find it interesting where you said you felt like you had to change the course to fit that narrative you put out yeah. there. Do you think that was yeah. part of the stigma you felt as well? Yes, 100%. I feel like it was one of those things where you have to almost, once you start a lie, you have to almost keep up a lie, right? That's just, that's just, that's just part <laughs> of a lie. You start one and you, you have to keep it up and you have to just walk down that road. And let's be honest, it's a dangerous road to walk down. And I was definitely doing that for a lot of my life in them stages. But that's one of the things that come with gambling, do you know what I mean? But yeah, like I definitely did feel a state of almost having to live up to a, a certain status that I put for myself. I said this in the intro, but you were clear when we spoke off air that the problems that you had with gambling were not on the mm. severe end of the spectrum, but they did still impact your mental health in a significant way. Why did you want to make yeah, that distinction, Joshua? I'll be honest with you, from starting my YouTube channel, and meeting so many different people within this industry and meeting so many people that have been affected. I realised, like, maybe my my thing with gambling was probably just, like, a, a little bit of binge drinking, do you know what I mean? Or a little bit of, like, you know, just overeating or just something like that. I'd done it, and as I say, like, I had a problem with it for about three years, but within them three years, I did have a 14-month period where I didn't gamble at all. I had the mental strength to not gamble, do you know what I mean? And there was other periods where I had months or weeks where I just didn't gamble. And looking back at it, 
the only reason that I did do that was because whenever I was low on money, it was the only thing that I thought I could go to to make some quick cash just to cover where I was at at that moment of time. It was nothing that I'd done when I had money. When I had money, I never gambled. So it shows me that maybe my problem wasn't so heavy. It was just a crux or, or a form of making money. And of course, in the chase of quick cash, there's only really a few ways to get that quick cash. You know I mean? We know the other ones. And, <laughs> yes, most, yeah, most of them are illegal. And some of them legal ways. Rose you know, will give you those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trust me, trust me. But like, that's it, that's it. You know straight away, everybody can think straight away what those answers are, do you know what I'm saying? It will come straight to your mind. And of course, for me, one of the most legal ways was to try and gamble, like try and win it. And of course, you see all of these examples around you when, you know, maybe your friends might be winning X amount or maybe people that you see on TV, people you see on social media might be winning X amount. So you just think, well, they can do it. Let me try. Do you know what I mean? And that's kind of how it was for me. And that's why I say, like, it wasn't so severe but it was still a problem and it doesn't really matter how severe a problem is. If it's still a problem, it's a problem. So that's kind of why, again, I say that, but I still had to come out about it and speak on it. And, and maybe that helped me to speak on it because it wasn't so severe. And I know that it wasn't like that. So maybe it helped me to kind of have the courage to go out there and speak on it. For those that aren't in this space, Joshua, they might think stopping mm. gambling is a simple case of just stopping in inverted mm. commas and that's a platitude i'm sure you've mm. received before i'm sure many other people have can you tell the listeners why that's unhelpful to hear as someone who's trying to stop and yeah. then what do some gamblers themselves yeah. need to know about how gambling affects their brain and their behavior because you talk about that on your youtube channel as well yeah man i think that's a common theme in my first youtube video that's what i said i said that um, there's a common theme of people who including problem gamblers or people who have a problem with gambling they don't understand how to stop or why they continue to do that. And in my opinion, it goes way deeper than just the surface level. As you say, a lot of people will say, surely you would just stop spending the money or surely you just like, or I've had a lot of people also say to me that, how would you even enjoy losing money? Do you know what I'm saying? If you know that's going to be something that you do. And the thing about it, it's almost like asking, I don't know, somebody who who smokes. Why can't you just like put down that cigarette and just, I don't know, use a, I don't know, I don't know the, the example, the, 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 there's like so many a, different yeah, examples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but it's, it's, it's the nicotine, it's something in there, it's something that it does to the brain, right? All of these things affect the brain in a certain way and in a certain level, right? So, of course, when you're talking about gambling, it's more about the near wins. It's more about the psychological things that happen within, inside you, inside your mind that actually changes you and impacts you into continue doing it. It's not about the money. A lot of gamblers actually say, and a lot of people that I spoke to say, it's not about the money at all. The money has no effect on them. They don't care if they win, they don't care if they lose. It's about that habit cycle. And once you get into that habit cycle of the cue, of the routine, of the reward, you skip over everything. So whatever your cue may be, and that's the same thing with a lot of people who may be or may have different problems with, I don't know, overeating or maybe with porn mm. or maybe with, you know, sex or whatever. There's that cue and whatever that cue was, right? And for me personally, I can speak on myself. My cue again was when I was low on money. So the routine was, how do I get that money? The routine was then, let me try and gamble. Then the reward was either win him or actually just play him. And there's a great video on BBC and it talks about a gambler's mind and a gambler's brain while they're actually playing. And their brain is as active when the wheel is spinning on a roulette machine or when the game is playing, when things are actually going on as to when they get a win. 
So it shows you how the psychological thing is. It's that cliche saying of it's a taking part that matters. Yeah. And, mm. and that's really what it is for a gambler. That's what gives them the buzz. That's what gives them the excitement, the taking part. Do you know what I mean? It's not the winning. Mm. And that's what people fail to understand. Like it's the, it's the impact that it has on the brain. Yeah, I get it. Just quickly before we talk about race in relation to gambling it's one of the reasons i wanted to get you on here mm. joshua to talk about your experience there and, and those intricacies i want to talk about the big step because yeah. i had tom fleming from the charity on the pod recently and you actually went on one yeah. of their big fundraising walks now you documented that on your yeah. channel and just tell me how that went because i imagine your feet were finished after it <laughs> yeah 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 well luckily for me they done 10 days so from scotland to wembley and it was over 300 miles luckily for me i only did a third of it so still a lot. Me, it, it wasn't as bad it's it's still a lot yeah don't don't get me wrong it's still a lot but luckily for me I, my feet probably weren't as um destroyed as those guys although i did have quite a few blisters on my heels as you know around the feet around the toes all these different type of things and around end of day two my left knee completely seized up completely completely seized up so on day three i was just hobbling throughout the whole thing but luckily on the end of day two there was baths inside our hotel so i was able to get two baths one when i got back and one in the morning so that kind of helped me out a little bit but no, man, the big step is, uh, it's, it's an amazing thing. I take my hat off to them. And that's something that I said in my video, because to be able to organize an event like that, to be able to raise awareness in the way that they are doing so, you can only congratulate them. You know, kicking gambling ads out of football, which is something that they are campaigning for. You can only just say to them, like, you know, I truly have to admire it, you know. I'll be honest with you, and I have said it in my videos, and I've said it to James Grimes himself, that there are some things and some ways that they want to go about doing so, and kicking gambling ads out of football, and some of the things that they speak on, I don't agree with. But of course, there's a lot of things that are amazing that they do. There is a lot of things that are amazing. But going on a big step and meeting so many people that are within the industry, are fighting or campaigning for change or who have been affected by gambling. It was such an amazing thing because it puts things into perspective. I would say this though, a lot of people that were on that trip were, there wasn't a much culture there. There wasn't much of people of other races there. And that mm. speaks a lot of volume. Why? Because you don't see many people of other races coming out and speaking about this type of thing. But nonetheless, to speak mm. on what I saw and the people that I met, beautiful people with amazing stories beautiful people with amazing strength and courage to be able to come out and speak on what they've done i met people there that as i said i thought that i had a problem but yeah like what they've experienced and what they've gone through it just makes mine look like a mustard seed do you know what i mean and mm. for them to be able to fight back and for them to be able to be where they are in such a healthy place and in such a place where they've defeated it and they've come out the other side Again, that's real strength, you know, and, and it puts my problem into perspective. That is real strength for what they've done. So, mm. yeah, it's a, it was an amazing experience, man. It was an amazing experience for sure. You spoke there about the lack of diversity. I want to I talk about that now because when people think about mm. the stereotypical image of a gambling addict, Joshua, I would put money on them thinking yeah, yeah. of maybe like an overweight, <laughs> middle-aged white man outside or inside the bookies. Now, we're seeing a lot of work yeah, yeah. done to break that stigma around female gambling addicts. But tell me about the stigma mm. around black men or black women when it comes to gambling addiction. Are people surprised when you disclose your story, given your Caribbean heritage? It's a very good question. I've heard that say that gambling isn't a black man problem, it's a white man problem, right? 
I've heard that being said. And the fact of the matter is, is that it's completely false. You know, I'm, I'm speaking recently to a guy who I'm currently working with and he's a Caribbean male in the older generation. We both spoke about how we've seen it in the, especially in Caribbean households, gambling has been a thing that's been affecting us for a long time, right? I remember my gra- my granddad used to going down to the bookies and spending money on horses and stuff like that, you know? So I remember these type of things growing up, but it's something that I never really paid much attention to. And I, I definitely say it's, it's nothing that affected me, but it's something that I remember happening right and then when you kind of then look at it and take it on a on another level the fact of the matter is it's not just things like gambling like mental health is a massive thing that wasn't spoken about in older generations you know it's another thing so those type of things are related again it's not a black man problem it's a white man problem you know we don't face these type of things that we go through these type of things like anxiety or maybe onto this severe level of like schizophrenia and stuff like that we don't experience that do you know what i'm saying and that's something that happens with a lot of older generations in the black community right the fact of the matter is that a lot of younger people are speaking on these things yeah and you will see it. You are seeing it now, especially on social media. A lot of young people are speaking on these type of things, especially mental health and stuff like that. But one thing that I'll say related to myself about gambling is that once I then put my story out there, I've been messaged yeah, by countless, countless amount of people, of young black males, yeah, countless amount of young black males who said, I've seen your story, I've heard your story, and I relate to your story. I've gone through this problem as well. And there are people who have messaged me through private accounts on Instagram, people who have messaged me mm. through personal accounts on Instagram, on Twitter. You realise that there are so many people going through this problem, but because of the stigma, because of the prejudice, because of the judgment that's around it, they're not coming out to speak on it. And I made a video on this about three or four months ago about why is gambling not spoken about as much in the black community, right? And I said in there that, you know, again, most of the things that I've said already. And I got a lot of hate for that video. And I don't know, I can't put faces or races to to who the hate was coming from. I can't say who it was from, right? Because it was all on the internet and stuff like that. But people were saying that, why are you making this into a race thing? Why are you making it into a black versus white thing? Blah, 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 X, Y, Z. And let's be honest, yeah, it is... <laughs> and I'm speaking from my perspective. It is, you know, the research shows, and with the company that I'm currently working with around this, the research shows that ethnic minorities are less likely to gamble, but are more likely to suffer harm. That's what the research shows. Ethnic minorities are more likely to suffer gambling harm, right? And I would say the big reason for that is because they feel scared to come out and speak about it. So they suffer in silence from that harm. Do you feel like when you was growing up, do you feel like you knew a lot of people, especially black people or Asian people who were affected by gambling or affected by them type of things like money issues or stuff like that? And was it spoken no. about enough? Like, What do you think? No. I never knew. And if they were, I didn't see it because I never spoke about right, it. Just right, like mental right. health growing up, when I was in school and when I was, I'm 27 now, mental health wasn't mm. a thing. And mm. if you spoke about mental health, you were called a pussy or you were called a homophobic slur, you know, toxic masculinity mm. was quite rife in my secondary school. So mm. if that wasn't a thing, then all the other taboos, which were even higher than sort of general mental health, they were never going to be mm. discussed. There's a question that I wanted to ask you because through listening to your story and reading mm. through it, you know, you, you recall like experiencing anxiety at an early age. 
And you, I remember you say you recall at the age of seven, I believe. Yeah, as early as and that, yeah. you sort of relate that back to being self-aware and being self-conscious about your feelings and what you were sort of going through. And I wouldn't say it's abnormal, but it's something that can almost be... I don't know. Is it, do you feel like that was sort of damaging to you at such an early age? And um, what do you think sparked that awareness? Because relating it to the to the yeah. Bible, for instance, Adam and Eve, they became self-aware when they ate the apple, right? And that just led them yeah. to vulnerability. And it almost transformed their human life to noticing different flaws and noticing different limitations. For you personally, how did that affect you? Like, um, and what was what was your spark? Would you say to like yeah. noticing that type of thing? So I'll be honest, and I said this in in many interviews. Although I suffered or lived with the symptoms of anxiety from the age of seven, I didn't become self aware until I was eighteen. I explain that because when I was going through anxiety, when I started going through depression, I don't live with mm. depression now, but when I was being bullied quite heavily, suicide attempts and all that sort of stuff, I saw it as this weird rite of passage because mm. I didn't know anyone else going through it. Everyone else I saw was living this mask of, I've got it all going on well. I thought yeah. I'm the only person living with this. I'm the only person struggling. So when I yeah. came out of that period and I got to 18 and went to university and I suddenly started being liked who I was on a genuine basis, you know, people weren't being sympathetic towards me and liking me or showing me pity. It was genuinely... They like me because of who I am. That felt very alien to me. Yeah. I started enjoying myself. I started making more friends. And then I got home from a night out and I just cried myself to sleep. And I had no idea why. And I'd yeah. done that all through secondary school. So that was the first point I went, oh my God, this is mental health difficulties. Like this is this is a mm. problem. It's not just me being sad or it's me having a bad night. I actually became self-aware. So it feels very weird to say, despite all the trauma I was going through at school, I was never self-aware of it, but I wasn't. That's genuinely the case. It wasn't until I right. became 18, 19, 20. Right. But how did that sort of affect you? Or can you remember how that sort of affected you at the time? Because you almost have to be slightly self-aware to know that it did affect you, right? Yeah. I mean, you're aware that it's affecting you, but you're not aware of what it is, if that makes sense. Right, right, So right, right, you know right, that right, you're right. in pain, but you don't know what that pain mm. is. You don't know what the source of it. You know, I never thought when I was going through, oh, this is mental health. I just mm. thought I was in severe trauma and, you know, the suicide attempts or the pain that I was going through was localized to me. It's a very weird thing to try and explain because you're self-aware of your feelings and how it's affecting you, but you don't yeah. know that there is a source to that or there is an explanation to that. You just think, oh, yeah. it's something that I have to go through. Yeah. I mean, in terms of that, like, does that almost make you feel like there is not just more people out there that are suffering through that, but how do you then notice those signs in people that are suffering through that? Because for you to actually say that, it makes me think, okay, so if my child is going through that, how am I able to spot that in, inside my child who may be yeah. going through these type of problems? How would you give advice to somebody like that? Yeah, I mean, I speak to a lot of people about it. It's going through these experiences and talking to people who've had mental health difficulties or mental health conditions helps you a lot. It also mm. helps you to become emotionally intelligent is a big thing for me. That's how you spot a lot mm. of signs. And also I, I became mentally health first aid trained. I did that in right. 2019. And I learned yeah. so much there. I only knew a lot going into it, but I learned so much more after yeah. that course because you realize how to spot little signs. British people are very good mm. at underplaying everything, right? <laughs> so when we say yeah. we're good, we might be struggling. When we say we're struggling, yeah, yeah, we might yeah, be yeah. suicidal. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I try at least to notice little things. So if someone starts withdrawing from something that they love, so say, for example, you do a lot of YouTube videos and suddenly yeah. you went on a break for 
12 months, eight months. And there might be a good explanation for that. You might be saying, oh, I need a break. I need to look after my self-care. But it might be a mental health reason because you're struggling. Or if I text you and say, Joshua, you know, I've been really looking forward to that video you're putting out next week. Why did you not put it out? And you go, oh, you know what, man? I'm losing my love for making YouTube videos. When three months earlier you were saying, oh, I'm loving putting out content. I'm loving learning and developing myself. That could be a red flag because you're losing interest in something you love. So therefore you're becoming more pessimistic or you're you're becoming more negative in your opinions. So it's little things like that, that I feel like if you can spot those little signs and it takes a while to get used to, then you can be infinitely better served to detect it when it's happening to other people. Yeah, I understand. I mean, just there you spoke about like suicidal thoughts. I remember hearing something that you said that there was a point where you didn't see yourself living past or you didn't see life past 16 years old. Yeah. I mean, that's such a that's such a heavy thing to hear, mm. especially listening to that. Where do you think your life would have been if you carried on living in that way? Because it was almost, like, you know, hearing what you were saying, it was shocking, but it felt... There was two things that I felt. It felt like you wanted to actually continue with with suicide and you wanted to actually act on it completely because Mm. i remember also reading an article that you did about survivor's guilt and in Mm. there there was a quote that you said that somebody said and their therapist said that you're not very good at suicide or something yeah it was was along those lines right yeah so what do you think on that yeah i mean first of all thank you for reading those articles that's very kind of you to do so yeah i think for the mindset of not living past 16 because i was in that school and I was getting bullied so consistently and it was just every single day and it was horrific and it was just you know mm. social isolation and everything else. Mm. I thought that if I didn't get out of that school, I would die at 16. Yeah. So all my yeah. efforts were on getting good GCSEs or good enough to leave mm. the school and get out. Now, luckily I did that. I had four offers from schools. I ended up going to the one that was more academic. I got out of that, got into a new mindset, had a new start. But mm. as you said on the survivor's guilt thing, now that I've got to that stage where... I actually want to live. It's Mm. almost like I feel a pressure to live to make up for the lost time because you spoke on a a YouTube video you did about you lost all those years to gambling, right? You lost seeing your sort of little brother grow up and you lost those years. I feel like I lost my years. I can't watch Skins because I feel like I have fear of missing out because all those stereotypical teenage experiences, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. I never had that. So right. I lost all those years. So therefore I'm trying to make up for it now. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 100%. That's kind of like a side effect from the thoughts at the time. It makes you look back at your experiences and just, I feel like at times I almost want to alter some things, but then I also just, as you say, you try and live it now. But is it too mm. late to live it now? Or do you feel like <laughs> it's too late? Uh, I don't know. I try not to think like that. Sometimes I do, yeah. but I try not yeah. to think like that. I try to think of it as part of my journey and the fact that if I hadn't gone through these experiences, it wouldn't have made me the person who I am today. You know, 100%. if someone said to me, could you wave a magic wand and get rid of all your bullying? 14 year old Fred would say, yeah, 100%, yeah, let's yeah, get yeah, rid of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah, get rid of yeah. all of it and give me a good school experience. But if I want to be really reflective, I'd probably say I wouldn't take it away. I'd maybe take away some of the really intense stuff. But I wouldn't Mm. change that journey because it's maybe into the person Mm. I am today, for sure. And I think as well, what you were saying about the article I wrote about the therapist who said to my friend that you're shit at suicide. That spoke Mm. to me because I tried to take my own life. But I said in the article, it was almost like a shit suicide attempt, really, because I was so... I so wanted to escape the pain I was in. I wanted to escape myself. I wanted to escape my world. But did I really want to die? Probably more up to a debate. I mean, maybe a psychologist could give me a better answer on that. But I certainly 
didn't want to live anymore whether that means you want to die is a different is almost a different question in a way yeah yeah there you go i mean i I think they're separate things in my opinion Mm. i think they're completely separate things but like talking about survivor's guilt you mentioned something about survivor's anxiety what is Mm. that i've never heard that phrase being used before what is that can you explain that yeah so for me it kind of plays into a little bit of health anxiety in a way So survivor's anxiety is how I would describe if I became ill or Mm. I had something that I thought was getting worse, my brain would go, you've come this far. Mm. I can't believe that this is going to end up affecting you badly. Do you know what I mean? So when I had COVID initially, I tested positive on Christmas Eve last year, the anxiety of getting it, and I'm obviously speaking from a very privileged health position here, the anxiety Mm. of getting it was worse than having it. Because in March 2019, I sort of had phantom COVID maybe, like I had a temperature during the night, obviously I self-isolated for 10 days afterwards, but I had all these visions of death, being in a hospital on my own. And I felt like now you've done all this work to make you live and you've, Mm. you've done all this work to make you get to a place where you can maybe even feel happy. I don't want to lose that. Yeah. It's interesting, but again, how does the survivor part come into that because it is as you said it's almost it is anxiety and it is Mm. the anxiety that you get even though like i kind of Mm. think about anxiety and whether or not i've truly truly experienced it but how does Mm. that survivor bit come into it because i survived mental illness i survived suicide i survived suicidal ideation i survived suicidal thoughts i survived the trauma you know i went through getting physically abused, verbally abused, one incident being sexually abused in primary school. I survived all of that. So that's where the survivor comes in. So now I want to thrive in life, but that survivor is still telling me, you made it through all of this. Let's make sure you, let's make sure you, you live the next 20 years because you survived those. Okay. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense from your story, at least. You have a lot of things where you talk about being bullied and being and, and, and surviving through that and overcoming that and stuff like that, you know, being bullied from a young age, primary school to secondary school, university, drama school, you even speak on. I wonder, like, because a lot of the things that you speak about, especially in your older ages, were a lot of snidey comments, a lot of behind the back comments, a lot of things that mm. happens in a lot of workplace yeah. environments. Do you feel like a lot of those things happen because you were scared of confrontation? Oh, that's a good question. I think I was bullied for a few reasons because, you know, largely kids are cruel. I had a few targets on my back that I couldn't shake off. I used to run from myself. I also probably ended up developing a victim mentality subconsciously where people saw me (laughs) as the punching bag. They saw me as... Mm. If they were being bullied, they could bully me because they could use it as a way to make themselves feel better. And obviously, like as kids, that's an incredibly cruel thing to say, but that's what kids are like. I don't think I was scared of confrontation. I certainly used to get some t- as a kid, I used to get anxiety about physical confrontation. Like someone said, oh, I'll see you after school. I used to make me get incredibly anxious. I think as an adult now, I don't have that fear. I certainly have worked on having difficult conversations and the nuances and language around that. But yeah. I don't think I've been scared of confrontation. I would say, however, on your point, I wasn't bullied at university, so that was fine. But yeah, drama school I was. That was sort of an after-school drama school. That was in my yeah. secondary school years. But with what you said about the confrontation side and everything else, I do think that self-acceptance is a, yeah. is a form of armour. And it took right. me a long time to get to self-acceptance. And what I realised, and I wrote a tweet about it ages ago, is that self-acceptance is like a suit of armour. Because people yeah, can yeah, say yeah, things yeah, to you yeah, and yeah. go, 
you can go, they can say to you, oh, like, why are you so loud? Da, 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 da. All these things I used to get in school and people just say me to shut up all the time. And then now when people mm. say that to me, I can just brush it off and be like, oh, you're projecting. I don't care what you yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, but it's yeah, actually yeah, mad. Yeah, yeah. You only realize it when you get to that stage. Mm, that's actually a, that's a bar I like that that's a, that's a bar <laughs> I'm, I'm, you can I'm have it to, for your I'm verses write that mate. one down yeah I'm gonna have to write that down man self-acceptance yeah it's a form of armor I like that yeah that's that's actually a good video title as well to be honest with you that's a good video yeah I, I like that I like that that's a good one I want to quickly finish Joshua on on this topic and reflect on your journey so on gambling you did say you received some negative feedback from people because of mm. what you're speaking about in the black community or, or whatever but you've also said you've learned a lot from gambling. What did you yeah, learn? And, and can you speak about that? And how did that affect you in any way as, as a positive growth? Yeah, man, 100%. I mean, in terms of everything that we've literally just touched on already, you know, you know, you learn from your experiences. And, you know, even that quote that you just said there about self-acceptance being a form of armor. Let's be honest. I learned to accept the things that I've been through. I learned to accept the pains that I sort of self-inflicted upon myself. You even touched on like having a victim mentality there. And I felt like mm -hmm. at, at a point and stage in my life, I had this victim mentality. Like, oh, why is this happening to me? Why me? Blah, blah, blah. You do that, right? And at the end of the day, it happened because I put myself there. It happened because, you know, I decided to spend the money, right? You know, I can't blame any gambling company for making me spend the money and making me deposit. I can't blame them for that. Yes, they had an effect on it, but I can't put that blame upon them. But in terms of like what I learned from it, I learned so much about myself. Like I wouldn't handle money in the way that I handle it right now if it wasn't for what I've ex experienced. Do you know what I mean? And I think a large majority of in terms of handling money, the way that I do is that I was probably thinking around and thinking down the right roads, right? In terms of how to use your money as a, as a form of leverage. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I was probably thinking down the right things. It's just I wasn't implementing it in the right ways. Because like, even when I go into like the stock market nowadays, and I know like that's a very controversial thing, right? I 100% know that because a lot of people have said to me, because I made a video at the start of January about the stock market and being invested in the stock market. And people said, how can you do that when you, you're advocating against gambling, blah, blah, blah. And how can you be reading and being in cryptocurrency and all these different things if mm. you're an advocate about gambling about problem gambling sorry and all these different type of things right and the thing about it is you can see some of the same things from gambling and from like crypto and from the stock market and some of that you know you can see it but it's completely different it's a hundred percent different but there's a lot of things that i learned from it man it built up my character it, it gave me strength mental strength that to learn that in life there's so many losses do you know what i'm saying in life that we have to deal with failures and it's not just about winning it showed me how to yeah as i say deal with adversity and deal with stuff like that it also showed me about my character and how i then deal with relationships and people in my life do you know what i'm saying because of where i'm at in my life it doesn't mean that i have to treat certain people in those type of ways do you know I'm saying I felt like at points in my in my time with gambling I was taking out my emotions on those that are around me so if I didn't feel great or if I didn't feel this or that or if I was going through some losses I would make sure that people in my life would kind of feel like that it's so toxic it's such a toxic thing you know instead of dealing with my own problems myself so there were so many things that I learned from it and I got a lot of hate from it you know what I'm saying? Again, I made a video about that and I got a lot of hate from it. People saying there's nothing positive that you can learn from gambling. There's nothing positive, but there is so many positive things. And I think, again, one of the biggest ones is how to manage your money. 
how to deal mm. with money and how to deal with losses and how to deal with yeah i think money is one of the biggest ones because again you do win you can't bypass that you win money in gambling mm. and how do you deal with that do you let that get to your head or do you have a level head and that's life in life there's wins in life there's losses and how do you manage that? So, and I, I'm sure like a lot of people can relate it to so many different things. You know, again, it's not just through gambling, but through any sort of addiction that you may have. There are things that you learn from it, especially like I know a lot of people are addicted to success. That's a big one, even though that seems like something that you can't be addicted to. But of course, you can. You know, you can be addicted to having too much success, or if you have too little, it can affect you. What can you learn from that? What can you take away from that? Because there is always something that can be learned in highs and in lows. So, yeah, mm. man, that's how I feel. That's mm. how I feel personally. As a final question, if you could go back and talk to that 11-year-old Joshua entering that all-white mm. school for the first time, or maybe the 18-year-old mm. Joshua who dropped out of university the first time, or the 21-year-old who dropped out of the university the second time and was gambling in a really unhealthy way, what would you mm. say to him knowing what you do now? Uh, that's a good question you know what I, I wouldn't say anything it might be something that a lot of people may not actually say I just wouldn't say anything I just um, it's something that I would like to like understand how I was again like go back and feel how I was feeling at the time but I wouldn't say anything because again like I'm happy with how it panned out like if I had changed something then maybe something else would have happened to me because everybody's fighting demons everybody's fighting a battle behind their screen or behind the smiley exterior. We're all fighting a different battle. So I might not have dealt with that, but then I might have had to fight something else. So I wouldn't say anything. I'd just watch and I'd observe and I'd see how I'm living life at that moment of time. But I'll fire that question back at you. What would you say to the person that you was like? What would you say? It's an interesting question. I've been asked this a few times, actually. And I really actually enjoyed when you said you'd say nothing because that's not something I've had an answer from on, on the guest before. So I really enjoyed mm. that part. I would say to him, you will eventually have friends. You will eventually be loved and feel loved. You will eventually have all these amazing experiences that you're not having now. And you think that you'll never have because you're in such this dark and negative place and you think you'll never leave that mindset, but you will. You know, it's very mm. hard for people in those mindsets. And when I was in that mindset to think there is a way out or think there is mm. light at the end of the tunnel, but there is. And mm. I wish mm. he'd have known that. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting, but you learn it at the right time, right? That's all that matters. Not to sound degrading, but there is a lot of people that haven't learned these type of things. And it's one of those things that you only They're wish no that with they, us, mate. they can. There you go. So yeah. it's amazing that you have, and it's amazing that you're able to actually now say it to me. You know, So it's it's beautiful. Your journey could have gone in a very different path, Joshua, to where you are now. But you decided to turn that massive negative you had into a positive through your YouTube channel, Joshua's Opinion. It's why we're talking now. Tell me why you felt inspired to start it originally and then how, in your words, it's changed your life. Uh, it's an amazing question. Actually, when I go into my iPhone now, I can still get up the notes where I first put down the idea. I first penned down the paper or type the idea down. And that was actually originally done in 2017. So I had the idea of doing Josh's opinion from then. And I'll always relate it back. There's a changing moment there. One of the moments is in second year of university when I went back. 
me and my boys, we used to sit inside this, we sit inside our, our living room and, you know, just talk and, and smoke and just talk about life. And that was such a changing point in our lives, in all of our lives. It, it, it sparked to where we all are now in our journeys. Do you know what I mean? And we just used to listen to so many podcasts. There was a, an amazing podcast out done by Kane Chatty called So You Want to Be an Artist. If you haven't listened to it, go listen to it, honestly. So it's a great I'm podcast. I'm aware of it, but I'll have a listen. Yeah, man. Like, there is this... We just used to have conversations about so many different things. It was almost like therapy for all of us, let's be honest. Like, mm. it, it almost was. And we spoke about what we've been through and where we want to go in life, you know, all the general conversations that you potentially would have but then a lot deeper conversations you know about what we've been through and just what we're currently doing and it gave me the inspiration to start on and to to talk about what I was going through and why I wanted to talk about it because I knew that there was not many people especially when I was going through the main bulk of my problems that was talking about gambling right and I remember like going up and nights where I'd lost a lot of money or nights where I was feeling really down and depressed. I'd be searching YouTube, trying to find somebody who was talking about gambling or talking about an addiction with gambling. And you'd see things, right? And you'd see it. But a lot of things that you'd see were your soppy documentaries or your soppy things where, you know, you know, you've got the violins and you've got the pianos playing in the background. You know what I mean? And it's just like... Yes, of course, the message in there can be powerful, but if it doesn't relate to me, I'm not going to take it in. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to turn it off and I'm not going to listen to it, right? On the top of that, if that person doesn't look like me, if the person I can't relate to, again, it's going to make me want to turn off. So I had them ideas back in 2017 about starting this channel. I had to then defeat my addiction there. That was the next thing I had to do. I felt like I couldn't talk about it unless I was on the other side of it, right? I felt like I couldn't do that. So again, that was the next thing because in 2017, I was still kind of going through certain problems with it, right? A year later, when I was able to actually defeat it, I actually tried to start filming some videos. So that's 2018. I started to try and film some videos and try and, and do it, right? Again, I just couldn't do it. I didn't feel like I had the courage. I didn't feel like I had the strength. I didn't feel like I had the confidence to be able to do it. Of course, like one of the biggest things that I talk about is that because I was like gambling, because I was also smoking a lot of weed at the time, it destroyed my confidence. I was mm. a complete extrovert before going through all of those things. And then I just became very introverted. I was a home person. I didn't go out. I didn't really speak to many people. XYZ just because of that, right? And it took me a further two years to gain the confidence to actually put out my first video. And I did so 2020, towards the end of 2020. And again, like my main inspirations for starting that was because of what I've been through, because I knew that the person who I was at university wanted to see somebody who looked like me, who maybe even sounded like me, who was into the same things that I was into, speak on these type of things and that there wasn't many people out there doing it. And that was my main inspiration for starting Josh's Opinion. And again, within my first video, I said there will be a main theme with me talking about gambling and my problems with gambling, but the channel is going to evolve with life. So when I grow, when I learn new things, when I experience new things, when I travel to new countries and see new cultures, I am going to touch on those type of things. But there will always be an overriding theme of me continuously coming back to gambling because I know that it's something that I could speak on, right? It's something that is never going to go away and there's going to be many people that are going to be interested in that topic. So, yeah, man, that's how Josh's opinion came about.
at the end of every video, you finish by saying, remember, this is just my opinion, so you don't have to mm. take it as fact. Yeah, Why was man. that important for your brand and also yeah, for the conversation online? Because let's face it, a lot of the conversation online now is not nuanced. Mm. It's everyone mm. arguing with each other and it's pretty toxic on any issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah man. That's, that's social media for you, man. We, social media has given us all a platform to express our opinions and make it known to the world, you know? Whereas, you know, everybody is always going to have an opinion, no matter what. Everybody's going to have something to say about what you do, something to say about what's going on in the world. But of course, social media has given that platform to everybody easily, more accessible, and it's made it in your face, right? And that quote means a lot to me. And just to name Josh's opinion as well, it means so much to me because it is just my opinion. We all have a different perspective on life. We've all grown in different aspects of life. We've all seen different things, right? So we all have a different way of viewing things. You know, the way that I look at things is not the way that you do. The way that I look at things is not the way that my two brothers do, right? So, you know, we may grow up in the same area or may grow up in the same things, but we still look at things completely different. So it's my opinion. If you don't agree with it, then you can carry on moving that way, right? And of course, like a lot of people haven't agreed with it because I've had dislikes on my video and a lot of dislikes on my video. So of course, not many people agree or, or there's some people out there that don't agree with it. And that's cool, right? It's good. And I think Kanye West said something. He said something along the lines of, you know, if you hate it or you like it, at least you have an opinion on it. Right? And that's all that I want people to do, have an opinion on it. And that's mm, why that awesome. quote means a lot to me, man. That's mm. why it means a lot. I might, one day I might have to release some some t-shirts or some jumpers with yeah, that slogan. Yeah, yeah. I'll buy it, mate. I'll buy it for you. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to do that sometime in the future, but I'll pen that down, man. <laughs> yeah well said man the dulcet delivery and tone of voice you have i have to say is incredibly yeah. soothing to listen to sometimes i listen to multiple like one of your videos twice just to like put it yeah. on whilst i'm doing some like washing up or something i yeah, even said to you off air i think that you should do some um asmr videos with some of your yeah, yeah. some of your videos did that yeah. delivery take time to master or is it all au natural uh, i just put the camera on and i speak to the camera man that's it man <laughs> Uh, that's, that's that. what I've been doing <laughs> yeah for the first like 10 videos or so I was planning things like I had the full script because again like because it was so many years in the making I'd penned them scripts down so I'd had it down and I knew what I wanted to say and you can probably see that in delivery like when I look back at them videos now like to be honest with you like there's a lot of my videos prior that I want to delete I want to get rid of but it's fine like we just leave them up there people can see the journey people can see what I've been on right but yeah, like I, I, you could probably see that it's, some of them are a little bit robotic, you know, I'm almost like I'm reading a script. But nowadays I'll have a topic, I'll do a little bit of research and I'll just put the camera on and I'll just talk to the camera. And whatever comes out, comes out in the delivery, it comes out, it comes out. And then you see what you see, basically do my editing and you see what you see. Mm. I think potentially like a big thing that helped me is the drama. And again, that's something that we both have a connection to. Because, of course, like, in terms of, like, learning a script or being able to learn certain lines. So in my head, like, I know what I want to say, right? I have this thing in my mind that I know what I want to say. I'm able to actually do that, right? It's all it's all natural, man. It's all natural. It's all natural. <laughs> I, I can't do anything else but that, man. I just have to try and yeah. keep it like that. And whatever comes out, comes out. If people can relate to it, they can. And if they can't, then keep it moving. There's more videos mm. out there for you. <laughs> mm. two very important quotes 
you said to me mm. when we discussed your channel off air, Joshua, were the following. Mm. You said, for a king respects himself, and you said, act like a king to be one. Mm. Is that a commentary on your own self-belief, or is that the person you aspire to be? That's a very good question. Law 34 from the 48 Laws of Power. I think the person who I aspire to be or the person who I'm acting like... I think we're all kings, right? We're all kings. We're all born to be kings, and especially within the black community, that's something that we we need to realise, right? We're kings and queens. We're birthed from that. You know, maybe in history, they like to hide certain things about our culture and about where we was from, especially from Africa, right? Um, in Africa, you have the richest person who ever lived was from Africa. You know, four times the wealth of Jeff Bezos. And his principles were, well, he was Muslim, so his principles were upon empowering his people. You know, they say that on his trip to Mecca, he was building mosques in different places that he stopped, right? So that just shows you where we're from. It shows you that we are kings, right? And in terms of acting like a king to be one, we don't need to act one. We don't need to act as a king. We are kings. We are queens. That's one of the most vital things you need to learn, right? There is something special within us. We all have something special within us, something that we need to give back to the world. And that's how we need to be. We need to become it. We need to understand it. And I think one of the big things is that we don't understand that. We don't understand that our natural power that we all have within us. As I said in that video, you don't need to act. You need to be. And mm. that's one of the biggest things, man. That's one of the biggest things because we all have that and mm. we're all special in our own rights. Man. We all have certain qualities. We're all different. We're all unique. And um, yeah, man, being a king is, is something that, listen, man, I'm, I'm a king, man. And uh, no one's going to dethrone Joshua. <laughs> <laughs> Your name no is biblical as well. Him. So, you yeah, know. That's why I, I love Joshua now. You know, before a lot of people, was, it was Josh, it was Josh, it was Josh. But I love Joshua now. Joshua rings so much power to me. It rings so much strength within me. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And to cut that off and just call me Josh, it's taking away that power. It's trying to take away the strength and courage within the name and the power that it holds within itself, you know? And I love Joshua. It's, it's a beautiful thing, man. It's a beautiful thing. Mm. So shout out your mum and dad for uh, giving you that name. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For, yeah. for real, for real. <laughs> honestly for real as a final question before we move on joshua i just want to briefly talk mm. about your last video you did which was about the book by victor frankel which was called yeah. man's search for meaning can you just talk about yeah. what that book taught you about yourself and the issues or topics that you discussed within that video yeah man and it's actually relating to my next video that's actually going to be released meaning and as humans we like to search for meaning in everything that we do we like to find meaning in in life we feel like if we don't have that meaning, if we don't have a purpose, then we almost feel like we're lost. We have this existential crisis, right? And that could be damaging in, in so many ways, right? It could be so, so damaging. Viktor Frankl or Dr. Viktor Frankl, he spoke about so many different things. And I said in that video, four vital lessons that I learned from him. And one of the things that he spoke about in there that kind of relates to what I'm saying right now is that we need to just find peace and happiness in just being present comfort you know not in actually doing anything or trying to achieve anything and that's one of the most vital things that i've tried to learn about my life so far like i've always like tried to attach meaning to everything i've always like said if i'm not completing this or if i'm not doing this then maybe i'm worthless or i've attached meaning to being 
who I said I wanted to be at 18 or who I said I wanted to be at 16 or whatever. And you have this view at that point in life where you say, oh, when I'm 25, I'm going to be a millionaire and I'm going to, you know, have this car and I'm going to have this and blah, blah, blah. And attaching all this meaning to things when the most vital thing is that I'm alive, man. I'm breathing. I'm here. I'm able to still share this love with my family, with my friends. I'm able to pass my message on to this person, that person. It's such an amazing thing. If you look at your life, we're a blip on what has been already and what is to come. The world has been spinning for X amount of years, you know, and let's say the average lifespan in, in the UK is 80 years old. My 80 years is a blip. So to attach meaning and to try and find meaning in everything, and of course, a lot of people find meaning in like work life and, and all these type of things which attach your stress in. You're attaching potential meaning to pointless things when at the end of the day, real meaning and real life is in not knowing, is in love, right? Is in the people in your life, is in giving. That's really where the meanings are. So that's some of the most vital things that I learned from that book. <laughs> Another string to your bow, or your growing bow, I should say, is music, mm -hmm. Joshua. And you're mm -hmm. an artist in your own right as well, with the same name mm -hmm. for brand consistency. So mm -hmm. tell me about mm -hmm. this journey and why you wanted to do it or felt inspired to do it. Music has been important for me since I was young, you know. Listen, music is vibrations. Music is frequencies. Music is sound, right? And from when you're young, that could be anything. That could be just banging the table. That could be shouting or just whatever. Music is expression, right? And music has just been a, a massive part of my life forever. When I was younger, I played piano. Didn't actually do it for that long because I was a stubborn child who didn't want to practice. But when I got older, I, I went back to piano, tried to learn it again and, you know, started to do that from YouTube. I've always said when I have children in the future, I'm going to learn with them at the same time. So I want to do lessons with my children, whatever instrument that is, I want to do that. But music for me, man, it's just another outlet. It's a feeling, you know, and if, you, nuts, if you really, yeah, if, yeah, if, yeah. if you love music, you understand it. If you don't and you're just an avid listener, then you won't really understand what I'm talking about. You know, when you hear small little effects, you know, or how they've panned yeah. something or how they've used reverb, like a minute, you know, a what they've done with it. Like, yeah, 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 it's, it's, like it's, it's small it's things. Yeah. yeah, it's small yeah. things. It's small things. Like, for instance, I'm around that like, maybe my younger brother, he doesn't really listen to music like that. Or like some of my friends and I'd be in their car and I'd be like, oh, did you hear that? And I'd be like, no. Or, uh, you know, their speaker will be damaged or something. I'd be like, oh, you just can't really hear music how it's meant to be heard. They may like start to listen to a new song and it's just like, but you're not listening to the song. You're not hearing the song. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the artist has spent so much time within the studio creating that song and you're not hearing it you're not hearing everything that they've done there's the small little intricacies they've done so now my music means a lot to me but i've got a question for you this line here this line here who cares if one more light goes out in this sky of a million stars what does that mean to you so that was bloody hell you've you found the first article i wrote i think that was a quote from linkin park from the lead singer chester mm. rest his soul and I think when he wrote that song, that was shortly before he took his own life. And it spoke to me because it reflected what I felt was my self-esteem status when I was being bullied. That right. I felt like my life was insignificant. 
So therefore, mm. it relates to that because if the human world is billions of people, if my life feels insignificant, who cares if I die? Who will mm. miss me if I die? Who cares mm. if that light goes out? That's why it spoke mm. to me. And, and you know, Linkin Park, that was an album which was criticised by, I think, hardcore fans at the time because it was quite poppy in certain elements. It wasn't yeah. as angry or emotionally driven in, in a certain aspect as sort of Meteora or Hybrid Theory were. But yeah, Chester was yeah, Chester was an amazing person. And I was very sad when he died. It was incredibly sad when he died. I think him and Mac Miller's deaths affected me the most in the music world when they passed. And you, if you can see it, listeners, well, you can't see it, listeners, but if you can see it, Joshua, there's a painting on my wall, which I got done, which was a Mac Miller artwork of Swimming, yeah. his album. And it says, if you didn't make mistakes, you wouldn't get far. And that speaks to me because I had so much anxiety about making mistakes when I was younger. So yeah, Mac's life and Chester's life are always reverberating in my mind, man. Yeah, that's an amazing thing to kind of think about. Like music, again, it's emotions, right? And it touches so many people in so many different aspects, you know? It's our crux that we fall back on in, in great times, in hard times, in mm. whatever times. It, it will evoke some type of emotion. And that's just what I love about music. Again, it's frequencies. But I guess intertwined with music, as I said, was like my love for acting and my love for, for drama, right? And I'll be honest, I'll say that like being on the stage for me was an amazing thing. And it helped me to not only just be the person who I am right now and have confidence in who I am, but it helped me to, you know, speak to people to, as I said, memorize lines and stuff like that. So, it, of course, it helps me in music, you know, especially when you're performing or whatever. But of course, like you said that you had a love for acting, you had a love for drama. But I wonder, yeah, if your love for drama and your love for like being on stage especially at younger ages when you was going through certain things did you love performing because it helped you and you you was able to be somebody else you was able to detach from yourself and become somebody else for an hour or half an hour or whatever the play was it's an interesting question because i asked this to my guest on real stories my acting series and for me it's a bit of both so yes mm. it was escapism you know when i was at acting school or drama school and I was enjoying it at that point before I started getting bullied. That was an escapism mm. for me. I could go there, be myself, act and and be out of that headspace of school and not be in that mm. environment. But mm. also it was a place where I could truly be myself on stage. So right. when I was on stage, no one was telling me to be quiet. If you're loud on stage, if you project your voice, that's amazing. That's a positive. No one's going to tell yeah. you to be quiet. I was mm. one of the only kids who didn't get told to stop veering off on their line. So if listeners who don't know what that is, a lot of times, and especially kids, actors, they'll start delivering a line. They'll say, I went to the shops and then I did this and then I did this. And, yeah, and their yeah, voice yeah, will yeah, go yeah, off yeah. and they'll start trailing <laughs> off and get quiet and quiet. I never had to do that. I never got that criticism. They never yeah, had to tell yeah, me yeah. to veer off. My voice was just naturally loud. So yeah. it was a place where I could be myself, but also not be myself. Yeah, I feel like in a way that was almost similar to me. I share some of those thoughts that you say. I want to talk about your track, Internal Bathing, because it's <laughs> one you wanted to highlight when we spoke off air. You said mm. in it you wanted to shed the dead skin. What skin yeah, was that? Man. Was it from your previous life of gambling or was it something else? Yeah, man. Well, Internal Bathing says riddle the envy, riddle the hate. And that was it, man. I feel like when you go through certain things in your life and you experience certain things in your life, you almost... As I say, you build up this hatred for not just life, but yourself. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Again, that kind of leads back to like that victim mentality type of thing. Do you know what I'm saying? Where it's like, you're almost blaming every, everything else. And I had to rid myself of all of that. I had to get rid of all of that. I had to shed off all of this. Whatever it was that I was going through at that moment of time, whatever it was that I built up and I harbored, I had to be able to let it go. I had to learn to let it go. And of course, when you're going through certain things as well, you have this type of envy or jealousy, especially like, when maybe I don't have certain things and I'm looking at other people when they do have that and it's like, oh, I want that, but I don't have it. Do you know what I'm saying? So I'm I'm jealous, I'm envious of what you have because I don't have it. And I think that's something that a lot of people may deal with. I think maybe we all deal with envy, we all deal with jealousy, you know. It doesn't just have to be physical things or materialistic things. It can be just like, you know, physical features. You know, somebody has a nice body or somebody has really nice eyes or whatever it is, right? But we're all envious or jealous. Even the most beautiful person, the person that you'd think are very secure in themselves, they do have their insecurities, right? And the thing about it is like internal bathing for me was just, as it says, it's internally bathing myself, ridding myself of all of that negative emotions and all of those type of things that's in your life, man. That's the kind of thinking behind that song, man. Yeah, like, again, one of the things I always say is that even though you feel like what you're going through is the pinnacle of this earth and you feel like you're the centre, you know, many people don't care about you. Do you know what I'm saying? They care about themselves and they're not even watching for what you're doing. As I say, internal bathing meant a lot to me. It was good to kind mm. of get that out there. Like, I've been holding on to that for a couple of years and it was just good to just get it out there, rid myself of that, and then I can move on to the next stage of life, man. As a final question... I just want to ask about the impact that, or the mental health impact that producing and singing and writing has on your mental health. Can you talk about mm. that and which one helps you more, do you think? Producing, man. I enjoy yeah. producing. I enjoy it. Like, as I said, I enjoy like everything about producing. I think it's something that I always do. It's something that I would love to do for other people. 100% producing is it's, it's natural to me and it definitely is as you say like from a mental health aspect like you, you can almost forget about where you're at in life you know when you're lost in the studio and you're lost in the world of music you can forget you can just cut yourself off from the outside world and you can just be in that moment be who you are and I mean a lot of people and especially a lot of rappers would say when they just pen their stuff down on paper they get things out of their head you know a lot of rappers don't do interviews because everything is in their bars right everything is within their music so they don't do these type of like things where they're speaking to the camera or, or speaking to people because they put everything down on paper but for me I put a lot down on like the instrumentals you know what I'm saying like the feels are on the instrumentals and yeah, honestly, producing for me is just a, it's a beautiful art form, man, and I enjoy it a lot, man, I enjoy it a lot. Our final topic of conversation, Joshua, and it's one I try and have with all of my special guests. It is mm. a general natter and chat about our mental health. So, firstly, how would you say your mental health is at the moment, mate? Yeah, man, I feel blessed, man. I'm at the most blessed point in my life that I've ever been most grateful point in my life that I've ever been and I can understand where I've been and that helps me to just feel blessed every morning man and yeah like in terms of mentally I really do feel good when people say you know I'm fine or I feel good I actually really do feel it I really do feel it and it's something that's so humbling because I know that I wasn't at that point 
X amount of years ago or just X amount of months ago. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, man, it, it's, it's such an amazing feeling to have. And it's just why I say I feel blessed. I, I really do. I feel blessed. Amazing, man. You asked me what age I became self-aware of my mental health. So I want to ask mm. you now, what age do you think you were when you realised that the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind and a product of your mental health? Mm. I think around 16, 17, I understood what I was going through, especially in like my teenage years, my younger teenage years going through school. But like really understanding everything, I don't think till about 21 years old. And the reason why I say that is purely because of the fact that that was a moment where I really slowed down and took things in. And I never done that before. I was just living. I was just living. I was doing. I was doing. Constantly in a rush. Constantly here. Constantly there. Do you know what I'm saying? And your mind's constantly worrying. You know, constantly moving and thinking about what's the next task. What's the next task? But around 21 years old is when I kind of slowed down and looked back on what I was doing and where I had been. And yeah, that's when I feel like I truly became self-aware. Even then, when I say truly self-aware, like I look at how self-aware I am right now. And like looking at 21, I was nothing. There was nothing. I never had any self-awareness, man. I never had no self-consciousness. And it's always going to be a learning thing across life, you know. As I live, I'm going to become way more conscious about what I'm doing and, and stuff like that. But when I understood things, I'd say 21, but even at the age that I'm at right now, at 25, I still feel like I'm just becoming more self-conscious about what I'm doing and um, how I'm acting, how my actions affect others as well. Can you tell me about the first conversation you had with someone about your mental health? So who was it with? What impact did it have? And at the time, did it feel like a big weight had been lifted off your shoulders or maybe you'd entered a new chapter in your life? Or did it feel like something mm. quite small, insignificant and normalised? It's mm. a good question, man. I wouldn't be able to say like one of my first ones. I don't know. It, it would take me a while to kind of process that. I'd say that I've had a lot of conversations with many different people. One of my friends, one of my closest friends, I've, I've had conversations with him along the way. I'll probably say with him. I had many conversations with him on drives because we always used to go out on certain drives, especially at like, the age of like 18. Uh, we used to go out on a lot of like long drives and we just used to pull up and we just used to speak about so many different things, you know, just life. And that's one of the things that I'd say like impacted both of us. But then again, like we were just talking about what we had experienced then. I hadn't really experienced many things in terms of like going through problems with gambling at that moment of time or other problems with like relationships or X, Y, Z at that moment of time. So I'm only speaking then about what I experienced prior. So again, like you carry on having these conversations with other people, even though like, I'll be honest, I'm a person who's very cut off. I don't speak to many people about what I go through. And it's very dangerous. Mm. But I'm self-aware that I do that. So I have been trying to do that as of recently, become a little bit more vulnerable. But I've been doing that a lot just purely because of what I've experienced and who has hurt me in the past, especially mm. people that have been very close to me that have hurt me. Do you know what I mean? So mm. because of that happening, it's made me cut off from a lot of things and not being able to speak in emotions. But one of my first conversations I say with one of my closest friends. Yeah. What triggers do you have that affect your mental health? So, for example, it could be something that someone says to you. It could be a social environment. It could be a particular place, a location. Or have you not figured all of them out yet? You did say to me, though, that certain TV shows or just TV shows full stop was one trigger for you. Is that right? I think anything can be a trigger for you if you relate to the thing that's happening. 
right? So if you see something, of course, like TV shows, movies, it will always bring up certain emotions. Like, for instance, I remember watching the, the movie with Will Smith, I think it's Focus, and in there he, he loses something on gambling, right? I remember, like, feeling that. This was a couple of years ago that I watched that, but I remember feeling that, right? And I felt that emotion. It was just like, oh, like, I remember feeling what he's feeling in this moment of time, right? So anything can be a trigger if it brings up the emotions, if it arouses emotions in you, right? Do I know all my triggers? No. Do I know some of them? Potentially, yes. Do I want to air them? I don't know. Am I able to be... I'm very... I'm, I'm, I'm a vulnerable person, but there's certain things that I'm not very vulnerable Oh, I'm, I'm not at the stage where I'm That's ready fine. to be very vulnerable with. But yeah, man, I think the biggest thing to say is that like we all have certain triggers and it's what brings up and what arouses emotions within us. That's a good answer. I enjoy that. What tools and methods do you use maybe outside of music or producing that helps or improves your mental health, Joshua? So which ones have you found that have worked for you? I mean, which ones that you've tried and gave a go but haven't? I work out, you de-stress in the gym. Although, like, I always say to people that working out and using the gym is relative to you. It's down to what you enjoy. Because, of course, like, gym is not for everybody. I tried, like, calisthenics or a lot of, like, gymnastic stuff, learning the handstands and stuff like that. But, again, it's, it's whatever. It's sports. It's, it's whatever it can be for you, you know. I love Liverpool. So I watch a lot of, of course, like, that's a way <laughs> as to As a positive right and, now, mate. As a positive yeah, right it's, now, it's, how well they've been doing. Well, well, we'll say it's a positive, but, you know, in Man City, He's signing Grealish and Kane and all these. Well, well, potentially Kane is a sticky one. I, I know for you, you're a Huddersfield fan and like your mm-hmm. your sports journey, your sports journey with um cricket. And actually, mm-hmm. like with you talking about the Wanster Cricket Club, it's actually pretty yeah. um, coincidental because like that was where I played some of like my first football tournaments. On, on, oh, on, really? On that, on that, <laughs> yeah, 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 man. So it's actually coincidental that you have that connection with Wanster Cricket Club, man. But yeah, like for me. Like, that's some of my ways that I de-stress and, you know, let go. I've been trying to go on a lot more walks as of recently, being in nature and enjoying nature. And that, for me, is ways that I just de-stress and allow life Mm. to just be and be in the present moment, man. I try to read a lot of books. I try to read a lot of books. I definitely was doing it way more about a year ago. Over the last year, things have been slightly different, but I try to read a lot of books as well because that helps you be in the present, man. 100%, 100%, man. I wanted to quickly talk about two ideas that I talk about a lot on this podcast, Joshua. So toxic mm. masculinity and positive masculinity. <laughs> so there's no right or wrong answer to this question either. Mm. I talk about toxic masculinity when I ask guests what have they experienced of it or how, how would they define it? Now, mm. my personal opinion is that it's sometimes overused, but it does exist mm. in certain circles. I also believe that maybe this is a naive or optimistic view that maybe in a few more years, toxic masculinity will be in a very small minority and positive masculinity will just be masculinity if that makes sense so could you talk about this from your perspective and maybe what would you define as either of those two terms (laughs) that's a question i was about to ask you what is your opinion and what do you think toxic masculinity is if you can have a definition (laughs) of it what would it be so for toxic masculinity i would say that there's a few things that come into it when i talk about toxic masculinity so man shaming is one so I think a lot of toxic masculinity when I was growing up was around shaming boys 
for anything that other boys viewed as outside of the male role or stereotype. So for example, mm. if a man liked a certain thing that was this, that was labeled as feminine, they would be called mm. a pussy or they would be called a homophobic slur, which I won't mention on this podcast. Even stupid things like I remember guys used to get picked on or if they liked a certain song with a female vocalist in it. Mm. You know, like really stupid mm. stuff. And then mm. I guess for me, that would be the main thing or a certain, you know, behaviors around women, you know, treating women as property mm, yeah. or treating women uh, even worse than that, you know, sexually assault, sexual harassment, behavior like that. So mm. I think that for me would be toxic. For me, positive masculinity right. is something that I talk about a lot and I've sort of not invented the term, but try to just push it a bit more out there. Yeah. Self-awareness self-confidence mm, supporting mm. other men in their lives when they talk about mental health you know not reacting mm. to someone showing vulnerability by deriding them or judging them but by viewing it as a strength so those are the things yeah. i would describe as positive masculinity it's a good uh, point i think what you're saying there about toxic masculinity about males sort of shaming others for it's almost what you're saying is shaming others for being in touch with their emotions and feelings right and i'll be honest with you like i've got a lot of strong feelings about this term. go on then <laughs> there's no oh, right dear, answer, like, remember. maybe a lot of this is gonna like without you can't have toxic masculinity without having toxic femininity yeah you can't have it right and of even course toxic masculinity yeah, yeah. is, is talked about toxic right? femininity as well on this podcast mate yeah man i've talked no, about course, it with female guests yeah yes i feel like it could even is there even such thing as toxic masculinity is it is it is it a lie like potentially it's just a lie right because at the end of the day like what you're saying there about being in touch with your emotions males do do that but it's not males that do that as much as females females will shame you for being mm -hmm. in touch with your emotions they don't want a weak man but they'll ask you to be vulnerable but they wouldn't want a man to cry on their shoulder too much so where is toxic masculinity really derived from where does it really come from and at the end of the day like i'll say it you can't have one without the other find mm. toxic femininity then is it cancel culture is it mean girls in high school becoming adults i don't, I don't know man I've, i think there's a lot of layers to it i think there's really a lot of layers to it and the feminist movement might cancel me and my channel if i talk too much <laughs> on it so i have to be careful with my words but all I'd say is that masculinity, there is clear gender roles, right? And a lot of people may not feel that way, but there is clear gender roles. And that comes mm -hmm. down to our biology, right? We have different biology. As males, we, we have more testosterone. So, mm -hmm. you course. know what I'm saying? We are more likely to be conquerors. We are more likely to be more aggressive. We are more likely to fight or be hunters. That's in our nature, right? And we are more likely to be protectors. Right? And that's just part of it, right? You know, uh, people will scream toxic masculinity for a lot of males who are too aggressive or maybe too loud or maybe are too conquering. But then let me ask these females this question that if you're in the house with your partner, with your husband and a burglar broke in, who would you ask to protect you? And if the man didn't jump up, you'd be looking at him like, well, who is this? Who's this next to me? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> is that am i lying here am i lying no no no, uh, am, no am, you're right am, you're am, completely... okay so there you go right but, but at the end of the day a lot of us whether we would like to admit it or not we do believe in traditional values so the man being mm. a protector the man being a provider and the woman being a carer 
but that does come down to biological reasons, right? Biologically, and that we are that. And those relationships yeah. as well, yeah. as to who yeah, they, you know, because a woman that, might want to be the carer, but they might not want to be, the, you know, could have a man yeah, who's of course, a stay-at-home dad. Of course. So exactly, it's up of to them. Of course, yeah. of course, of course, of course. The relationship plays a big part as well, right? It does, it does. And I'm not dismissing that. And we all are individuals, but biologically, we have natural tendencies. So what this toxic masculinity thing is, is I, I don't know. I can't really say whether it's a lie, whether it's really true or not. Because as I always say, if you do believe in toxic masculinity, then you can't have it without toxic femininity because there are a lot of females that degrade a lot of men way worse than any men do to a female. A lot of things in terms of like, for instance, you know, one of the things that you said in your podcast when you was interviewed on Just Checking In was the two people outside when you grew up, when they came back to you and talked about your younger experiences and said, oh, he used to be bullied in school, were females. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. so what's that? Is that toxic masculinity? Is that toxic <laughs> feminine? What is that? Do you know what I'm saying? So you can't have one without having another. So that's my opinion on it. And in mm. terms of positive masculinity, yes, like we do need to be in touch with our emotions. We do need to be able to talk. I don't know if you've read the book, The Way of the Superior Man. No. Send me a link to it after we finish this. No problem. I'll send you a link to that. And it talks about in there about being in touch with your emotions. But when you're in touch with your emotions and you want to have raw, open and honest conversations, you need a strong group of male friends around you to have that because they will be able to tell you things from a certain aspect, from a certain view. The truth yeah, as go, well. Exactly. They, they'll the tell you the truth. truth. And they'll give the you, harsh exactly, truth. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's what I said. If you want raw, honest and open conversations, you will go to your male friends, right? Because they will give you that and they will tell you that. And that's what a lot of males need. That's what a lot of males are, are missing. And the fact of the matter is, in my opinion, yeah, the first world is dampened that. Why is it dampened that? It's dampened that because of the fact that we maybe have many things way too accessible. Do you know what I'm saying? There's porn there. Do you know what I'm saying? There's all these dating apps. You don't actually have to go out there and be in the world and be tough or whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? There's, there's so many yeah. things just so readily available to us. We don't actually have to go out there and work too much for certain things. We can use money and pay for a lot of things that before we may have had to struggle a little bit more to actually do, achieve, accomplish and actually have. Do you know what I'm saying? So the first world has dampened a lot of that for us. And... Yeah, man. I mean, this conversation goes very deep, man. There's so many things. There's so Mate, many. We could go. It, we could go for hours on this. Yeah, I just want to. I just want to quickly honestly. ask you about what you said about the male conversation dynamic, and this is something I read about mm. in Warren Farrell's The Boy Crisis. So Warren Farrell talks about this idea of hazing. I kind of knew it, but it sort of blew my mind in a social dynamic where a lot of boys in conversations, right? We'll take the piss out of each other. Mm. Most yeah. of our conversations are piss taking, and mm. sometimes that can hinder us when it comes to having the more important conversation. Sometimes it doesn't, yeah. but sometimes it can because we, we don't want to yeah. access those conversations. But what he talked about is it can be a form of trust whereby yeah. if I take the piss out of you and you sort of cell phone it or you laugh it off or you join in, that means yeah. we can both have difficult conversations with each other. We can say maybe uncomfortable things. We can say un-PC things that wouldn't go outside of yeah. you know our conversation. But if you react yeah. to it negatively, then I might think, yeah. mm, I don't trust you. You I'll see say- that as a dynamic with men. I'll say, say a couple of things. I'll say people who potentially laugh, uh, males who potentially laugh at your pain or whatever you're going through or laugh at things like that, you're potentially having conversation with boys rather than men. That's one of the first things that I'll say. People haven't grown up fully. And then I'd say in terms of like somebody who can laugh certain things off, but still take it on board and then do the same thing back, you're potentially having a conversation with a man who knows himself. 
right? And who understands who he is and understands what he's gone through and stuff like that, right? And the comments that you do potentially will not hurt him, right? The fact of the matter is somebody who potentially gets their back up about certain things, they're probably still, they know that that insecurity is there and it's living deep within them. They've got their back up and get defences about them things because yep. it's true. Right? I project. And they're not ready. Yeah. Then, yeah, exactly. And they're not ready to own up to that type of thing. They're not ready to, to live and walk in that type of thing. So it's two different points there. And as I say, like I say, the first thing is that somebody who a man in your friendship group or is potentially in your friendship group, quote unquote, off, who laughs at your pain, you're, you're talking to a, potentially a boy rather than a man. 100% man and you, you those two points I think you made were really important there I've got one final yeah. question and it's yeah. a broad one and you can answer yeah. however way you want what yeah. more do you think we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds all walks of life mm. feel comfortable mm. and safe in opening up about their mental health issues or just their general mental health if they want to do it that's a good question i mean it's something that i could actually ask you here and i will give you an answer but it's something i, I ask you because at the end of the day like when you look back at it now and you know you started vent you started writing that first article could you have imagined all of the different outlets that you currently have so you know you got your just checking for the podcast you got the behind the decks for the djs behind the mic for the artists you know mind on the game for the sports you got all these different <laughs> yeah. outlets i'm loving this you know mate. You've done so much you got, research you got, you got all these different outlets you know what i'm saying could you have imagined that could you have no. imagined being where you are right now never. could you imagine the, the conversations that you've had with men yeah and what, what what's that no, outlet's done never. for you so for me it's changed my life it really has, you know, Vent and the podcast yeah. has given, and you talked about the search for why, yeah? Vent yeah, is my yeah, why. Yeah. Vent is right. my meaning. And mm. lots of other things are my meaning too. But when I read things about searching for infinite purposes and searching for meaning, this is my meaning. This is yeah. what I want to do. And, you know, I might never ever make any proper money for it, but I don't really care mm. because I'm helping people and that pride and that joy it gives me from seeing someone who has that amazing reaction to a podcast that they put out. You know, I, I always say to all my guests, and I'll say it to you when you put yours out, send me all the positive comments you get because I absolutely mm. love reading them. I love seeing people's minds changed or their perspectives on you changed and then becoming more open to you and better people yeah, yeah, yeah. as a result, not just you as a better person, but them as a better person because then mm. that ripple affects all of those people in your network too. So for, mm, yeah, it's me, mm. it's, for it's changed my life. What more do I think we have to do? And I've said this, you know, on other podcasts. For me, when I was growing up, if I'd had male role models talking about their mental health in the media, that would have been amazing for me because I could have seen that there was a path out. So yeah. I think the more men that we have speaking about it and not just white men, but black men, Asian men, every perspective on life, working class men, middle class men, that's really important for me. And then obviously yeah. there's some things I can't talk about politically too much because I'll get in mm. trouble. But there's that side as well, you know, and other people who are in positions of power need to have those conversations. But yeah. for, from a societal point of view, we need to make sure that men feel comfortable if they want to open up. We can't be shaming them. One thing I also do talk about a little bit, Joshua, is this idea of mm. catching feelings, right? right, right and it's right, almost like right. denigrated in the public conversation. If you catch mm. feelings, you're weak or you're mm. you, you've fallen into a trap why can't we accept that feelings and emotions we can have in relationships are healthy and not mm. some sort of oh i can't believe i've caught feelings for this person so if you're mm. denigrating men having that how do you expect men to be emotionally intelligent or have those yeah, conversations 100%. because they'll 100%. subconsciously believe that that complexity is alien to them yeah you're 100 right 100 right i mean what you're saying there on top of it about like the amount of people that we need to be in this industry talking about these things. It made me think about 
at the end of the day, I do see it, right? I see it. I see a lot of people that are out there, they are talking about it. There are a lot of youth clubs. If you actually go on, you know, go on Google right now and you search London youth clubs, you'll see that there's hundreds. So there are people out there that are doing these things, whether it's in the public eye and being spoke about publicly, that doesn't happen. But there are these things out there. There are these different outlets, you know what I'm saying? And um, there's a lot of people within different cultures that are speaking on these things. So mm. I don't know if it's right to say that these things aren't out there and that these things aren't readily available for a lot of people to speak to and to find help. and to Now they are. You know, yeah. When we were to... kids, they weren't. Yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. You're right. hundred percent. You're right. Yeah, you are right. there. I believe what can be done. I think what can be done is just open and honest conversations. That's it, really. And that's what it comes down to. I think the fact of the matter is there's a lot of people... I think social media is probably a very damaging one, especially for young people. Fucking up, the, gen- build... up the younger generation, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. They build their opinions and they build their viewpoints on life. Their upon identity. What they see. Yeah, they build everything <laughs> upon what they see upon it. Mm. Actually, saying that, that could have been very dangerous for somebody like you growing up. Because oh, 100%. At the end of the yeah. day, at the end of the day, I think one thing that I kind of realised from listening to your podcast and watching and reading some of your articles is that I don't know if you have that, well, I'm pretty sure that you've come to that realisation, but you do a lot of like, uh, what's the right word? Self-deprecating. So like you, yeah, yeah. you almost look at yourself and you, you damage yourself in terms of like your, you, you kind of talk down yourself a lot. Like when I re- yeah. read, read don't, your Don't do as much of it now, but used to do, yeah. it, used to do it back then as a so def- defence mechanism. Yeah. yeah, when you're bullied, yeah, you yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you, exactly. you own the criticism mm. before you get the criticism. Yeah, because like when I'm reading your articles, I'm just like, is this a way that he manages his low self-esteem or is it like, is it still it like negative be. voices yeah, that you have inside yeah. of you that's still wanting to bring you down? And yet you're not ready to let go of the negative voices. What was it like that, that that done that? So I feel like, as I say, like open and honest conversations will be able to get a lot of that out of people. Them type of feelings and them type of thoughts and them type of reactions upon how they deal with certain things that goes on in their life. So yeah, like uh, what could change in the community? I think that is a big one. I think a lot more events in person, definitely a lot more one-to-one conversations because a lot of people are scared to have them conversations in person. Mm. And I think a lot of people that are in the public eye that we look up to as young people, whether that's rappers, whether that's entertainers, whether that's politicians, whatever it may be, definitely need to speak on certain things or open up certain places to talk. But then again, when I say that, there are a lot of people that are doing that. Do you know what I'm saying? So we can't disregard those people that are doing that as well because there are a lot of people that are doing that. So I think things are looking positive, man. People are walking in the right direction and moving in the right direction, 100%, man. But it's just to continue doing it, continue doing it. And hopefully we can continue to reach more youngers because there are a lot of youngers that are listening. There are a lot of youngers that are paying attention. Even if we feel like it or we don't feel like it, they are. It is happening, so... Things are looking positive, man. Things are looking very positive. Joshua, what on a conversation yes, that was. Really. Thank you so much for coming on the Just Checking In podcast. No problem, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. We have come to the end of this episode of the Just Checking In podcast. I want to say a massive thank you to Joshua for being my special guest on this episode's pod and for talking all about his gambling addiction, his mental health, 
and his YouTuber and artistic journey. I'll put some links to where you can follow Joshua on social media, follow his YouTube channel and subscribe if you'd like to do that, and listen to his music in the show notes. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, I'll sign us off by saying please give it a share on all the usual social media channels. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it. Tell your family. Spread the good news about Venn and all the work we're doing on the podcast. If you want to support us further, please consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts and giving us a five-star rating. If you want to support us even further, please consider supporting our Patreon, which is at www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk, or you can do a one-off donation on our GoFundMe. We hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember, guys, it's always okay to